Please stand for the reading of God's word. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 22. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good? To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. This is the word of the Lord. morning. I was telling Melissa after uh, first service, I feel the same way. I too am an introvert for whom public speaking is not my favorite thing. (laughs) And yet here I am. Uh, Good to see you all. Happy August. Um, We are coming towards the tail end of this uh, summer series in the book of Deuteronomy. (laughs) Sorry. A friend of mine just did something very strange, and now I'm totally thrown off. Um, what are we talking about? Deuteronomy, that's right. Um, we're talking about this theme of covenant. What, is it, what does it mean to be in a covenant relationship with the God of the universe? What, is it, what does that even look like? And uh, the last two weeks, we talked about these, these two circumstances we find ourselves in sometimes. Sometimes we find ourselves in the wilderness. Sometimes we find ourselves in promised land type times, and you're all in different seasons of those. And we're looking at what is God doing in each of those external circumstances? What does he want to produce in his people? And today we look at, uh, we're not going to look at circumstances. We're going to go straight to the heart of things. What is it that God wants of his people? Regardless of what our circumstances are, what are these core postures of our heart that God is looking for in his people? In the next two weeks, we're going to start to turn towards the new covenant. Obviously, we've been in the Mosaic covenant, but I'm going to say a couple things that move us that way this week. And the next week, we're going to talk a lot about how do these covenants all relate to one another? What's the relationship between like Deuteronomy, the Mosaic Covenant, and then for us as New Covenant Christians? And I'm going to be focusing on your favorite verse in this passage, verse 16, about circumcising the heart. So that's where we're going to focus today. True true words. Um, I want to talk about that command, and then I I want to set that in the context of something that Moses says at the end of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 30, and how that begins to point us towards the new covenant, all right? So that's what we're going to do. Let me start with verse 12. This question that is asked, 
Uh, this is a great passage. This kind of sums up a lot of Deuteronomy, I think, these, these 10 or so verses. But Moses asks a question. Oh, now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? And that's not just a throwaway question, okay? That question shows up in other parts of the Old Testament. And when you see that question, it, it's almost always asking, like, what is the essence of of your life with God. If you get past the the superficial stuff at the core, at the heart of things, what is it that God is wanting? What does he ask? What does he require? So we're going to look at actually five things that are mentioned um, that the Lord is asking of his people. So I'm going to put this up on the screen and just talk briefly through these, and then we'll move to that strange command in verse 16. So we're in this covenant relationship. This is Israel, right? Uh, What is it that God asks of his people? Here's what it said. First, fear the Lord your God. What God wants is this posture towards him of reverence and awe and respect and and sort of a, this is a God you don't mess with sort of posture. And in this passage, Moses gives us some reasons to fear God. Look at verse 14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. God owns the universe there's a very big God and he owns it all. This is somebody to respect, someone to fear. Uh, look at down at um, verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God. This God is big, he's mighty, he's awesome. Um, you ought to fear him, have this reverence. In fact, the ungodly in scripture are described as those uh, in whom there is no fear of God in their eyes. They, they, they have no fear of God. They, they live their lives as if they're not going to have to give an account. They, they just give an account to themselves for their lives. And instead, God is saying, no, I want this posture of fear, appropriate reverence and awe. Both New and Old Testament say that. We are to fear the Lord. So that's what the, what the Lord requires of us. Uh, secondly, then he says, and the Lord asks that you would love the Lord your God. Um, and that is feels a little different than fear, right? That is about notes of affection and closeness, um, commitment, devotion. And we're given some good reasons to love God in this passage. Look at verse 15. It's a very, I think, wonderful description. The Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. This is a God who sets his affection on his people. Look at this description in verse 18. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. This big, awesome, high and mighty God is a God whose heart is for the underdog, for the, the vulnerable, the weak, those in need. This is the kind of God that you could love. Um, so you have this fear the Lord, but love him. And I just think it's worth noting, we're living in a culture today, I would say that for the most part, doesn't know how to hold those two things together. Like can't fathom, how, how could you both fear and love someone at the same time? But I think when you read the scriptures, you come to understand the kind of being God is, you, you can't help but fear and love him at the same time. And that's what we're being invited into. What's the next one in uh, verse 12? Then he says, serve him with all your heart 
and with all your soul. I think this is getting at the motivation in your relationship with God, right? We, we are to do the things we do in life out of this desire to, as an act of service. I'm, as I read your scripture, as I interact with my children, as I go to work, as I do what I do, I'm doing this as an act of service to you. New Testament says, work heartily unto the Lord, whatever you're doing. This is the motivation that should drive you. I, I want to please you. I, I, I'm, I'm offering my life to you today as an act of service to you. All right? Next one. Uh, walk in all his ways. This is getting at our behavior. Literally, it says walk in all his paths. So the idea is following the Lord involves specific paths. There's certain ways we are to live. Today, we would say it involves a, a, a very concrete lifestyle to following God. There's, a, there's a, a lifestyle involved in that, right? Love your enemy. We're a life of prayer, a life of generosity, a life of gratitude, a life of purity. There are very specific, concrete ways that we are in, being invited to live in this relationship with God. And the last one, and then it says, observe his commands. And I love how that, this one ends here, uh, for your own good. And I love that. God has these commands, but guess what? They're not arbitrary commands. It's not like some random guy steps into your life and says, you should do this, 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 and this, this. This is the creator. This is the guy who, who made you and designed life. And he, he's laying out his commands for your flourishing. He wants to give you a life that is rich and meaningful and full, and his commandments are designed to do that for you. All right, so this gets at the heart of what God is asking for in his people. These words, fear, love, serve, walk, observe, are repeated again and again and again in Deuteronomy. And the repetition is confronting us with their priority. This is really important. These are the things that God desires of his people. All right, so I just want you to sit with those for a minute, okay? Just kind of look them over again. Maybe, maybe one of those stands out to you today. Just... You know, kind of take those in for a second. So um, about a month ago, I mentioned that this summer I've been doing, I've been uh, keeping a feelings journal. Remember that, right? I have some strange, I'm like an emotional robot in some really weird ways because I'm insensitive in other ways. But so I've been working on a feelings journal as I'm in God's word. I'm just taking time. How do I actually feel about what I'm reading? Like what? What is that stirring in me? So Dave's feeling journal, uh, when he looks at this, there's two things written in there. Uh, The first is, this is exactly what I want. I read that, I go, in my heart of hearts, that is how I want to live my life. That is attractive to me. I want to love the Lord. I want to serve him. I want to observe. I want to be obedient to him. This This is what I want. And the other thing is, this feels really overwhelming to me. Like, I can't do this. There's, like, observe all of his commandments. Walk in all of his ways. I want this. This is exactly what I want. And I know I can't, there's no way I can pull this off. That word, what does the Lord require? I don't like that word require, right? I know I can't pull off that requirement. Last week we sang, Come Thou Fount, which talks about, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, right? Gosh, I know my heart. I know my heart and how quickly I am prone to wander. So yes, I affirm this is exactly what I want. And I know my heart doesn't have what it takes (laughs) to live this way. That's what the feeling 
journal says. All right, so with that, let's now turn, talking about the heart, let's turn to verse 16, okay? This is where I want to focus us today. What do I do with that here? Oh, there it is. Okay, Uh, verse 16, um, it says this, circumcise your hearts, right? I said, I don't have it, what it takes in my heart. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Let me put that up here. Circumcise your hearts and be stiff-necked no longer. Two lovely images for us on a Sunday morning. In mixed company, we could talk about circumcision and stiff-necks. I don't have any diagrams today for you in any of this, fortunately. So, um, two uh, graphic images that Moses is using to to talk about some things. Let me just talk about these images. Let me take that second one, stiff-necked, Okay. This is not post-collision kind of stiff neck. You know, this is, he's comparing the people to horses. In the images, you're riding this horse, and you've got these reins, and you're trying to control the horse. You're trying to turn it left or right or or pull it back, and it's stiff-necked. It is not responding to your movements. It's bent on doing whatever it is that it wants to do. Today, we would say stubborn, right? And Moses is saying, stop being stubborn. Don't be hell-bent on what you want to do. Be responsive to the way God wants to draw you. And when he has you turn this way, turn. And when he has you stop, stop. And he has you go, go. Don't be stubborn. Be responsive to God's leading. And then he gives us this other image. Circumcise your hearts. Okay? So, um, the literal Hebrew, this, this was originally written in Hebrew, just to make this, kind of get the image in your head, is literally circumcise the foreskin of your hearts. Okay, that's what the Hebrew says. Um, any of you have boys in the room? Some of you had some boys? Okay, so you can remember when your boys were born, many of your boys, at least not all of them, uh, that first day your boy was born, which was a trial unto itself, and then you had to let the boy go to a room where he underwent his second great trial in life, Right? for circumcision. And um, what happens is there is a flap of skin, right? A covering that is cut off. That's what circumcision is. And so Moses is saying, circumcise your hearts. He's saying it's like there's a covering over your hearts. It's like there's something keeping your hearts from feeling what they're supposed to be feeling. And so there's a, there's a heart surgery that is needed for you guys. There's a heart transformation that I'm asking you guys to undergo. Today, we would say your hearts are calloused, right? They're unfeeling. They're, they're not soft and responsive to God. It is a graphic way to speak to ancient Israelites who all know very well what circ- circumcision is. They get this metaphor. He's saying that heart surgery is what is needed. So you put these together circumcise your hearts and stop being stiff-necked. In in so many ways, Moses is saying, basically, stop being the way you guys are, (laughs) right? This is what God wants of you. Stop being the way you are. And what we've missed, we skipped chapter 9 in the first half of chapter 10. And what that whole section is about is Moses retelling the story of the golden calf episode. Remember that in the wilderness where God brings him out into the wilderness. He takes him to Sinai and he um, is entering into a covenant with them at Sinai. Moses goes to the top of the mountain. He's giving him the Ten Commandments there. While Moses is at the top of the mountain, the, the people, meanwhile, get a little restless and they build this golden idol and they start worshiping it. 
And so right at the very beginning of their basically marriage together with God, Israel's down the mountain cheating on God with some other God through this idol. And Moses is reminding them of just how stiff-necked and how uncircumcised their hearts are. And out of that, he says, now, basically, stop being the way you are. (laughs) Okay? Repent. Change. Turn so that you may fear God and love God and serve God and observe his commandments and walk in all his ways. All right? You get that? Okay, so Dave's feelings journal takes this, and I could probably write a lot of feelings about verse 16, but one of them would be, okay, so you're telling me this is what you want from me, and then I'm telling you, I know my heart. My heart doesn't have have what it takes to do that. And so you're telling me, well, then circumcise your heart. Change your heart. And I'm thinking, I don't know how to make my heart different than it is. Like I have a prone to wander heart. How do I take a prone to wander heart and change it so that it's no longer prone to wander heart? I kind of feel stuck here, God. Like, I, I, any of you tried to change your hearts lately? <laughs> right? Like, you can make changes. I mean, we, uh, over time, you can, but man, a fundamental just change the heart's a pretty tough thing to do. So I'm feeling, I don't know what to do with this, Lord. And that takes us now, I want to take the turn now to move towards the promises of the new covenant, because this is the Mosaic covenant we're talking about. I want to take us to something that Moses says at the end of Deuteronomy, all the way to Deuteronomy chapter 30. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. I'm going to put it up on the screens. Um, So the context here is, so the rest of Deuteronomy, Moses gives the people all these laws, uh, and then he lays out, hey, here's the consequences. Obey me, it'll go well with you. You disobey me, there's going to be some bad consequences. And he just lays it out, and then Moses kind of looks down the, the, the passage of time, and knowing the Israelites, he, after laying all this out, he basically says, you know what? I know you're not going to be able to pull this off. <laughs> like, I know your hearts. And I know you're not going to keep this covenant. And the consequences of not keeping the covenant are going to happen to you. You're going to be, there's going to be enemies going to come. They're going to kick you out of the land. You're going to be sent into exile. I know this is the way you guys are. I know this will happen to you. It's fascinating. He's predicting these things. Centuries before they happen. And then he says something that, he says that God is going to do something that is very beautiful in the future. Listen to this. He says, Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. And here it is. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul, and live. All right, so so what we have is this commandment, circumcise your hearts, and then at the end of Deuteronomy, this promise, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts, which is to say, the very thing that the Lord requires of you, the Lord will one day do for you. What you can't do for yourself, and what the Lord is asking you to do, the Lord will one day do for you. That takes us, turns us from the old covenant to the the promise in the heart of the new covenant. Circumcised hearts done by God's spirit. Let me show you another uh, instance in in the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel. 
Uh, Ezekiel is actually now living during the exile that, that Moses prophesied, and he, he looks ahead to a similar transformation of the heart that God would produce in his people. Look at this. This is God speaking. For I will take you out of the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. That's what we heard just a second ago from Moses. Listen to this imagery. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. The, the sprinkling of water is this beautiful image of right purification and forgiveness. And then God says this. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. And this is a very similar image to Moses. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Instead of these calloused, hard hearts, I'm going to give you these soft, you might say circumcised hearts of flesh. How is he going to do this? I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will fill you with my spirit so that you will have new hearts. But those new hearts will not come from human ingenuity, from all your work and, and hard labor. It will come by my spirit. Let me show you one other passage. Jesus himself talks about the very same, same transformation of the heart. Different language, but same idea. This is John 3. Jesus with Nicodemus at night. Famous passage, right? Jesus speaking, Truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Different image, same idea. Nicodemus says, how can a man possibly ever be born again? He can't go back into the womb and come back out. And Jesus says, be a little metaphorical with me, Nicodemus. Um, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Okay, that's Ezekiel. Sprinkled clean with God's forgiveness and filled with God's spirit who does a transformation in the heart. Jesus goes on, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Just as you might see a, just a dried out place and leaves on the ground and then the, and then the wind comes and blows and stirs, stirs things up. That's what God is up to in human hearts through his spirit, breathing life, blowing his spirit, creating life where there wasn't any. So all these different images, all saying the same thing about the new covenant. It is about God doing a work through his spirit, blowing in people's lives, giving them new hearts, circumcising their hearts so that they can begin to love and serve God from the heart. Okay? What God asks and requires of his people, that very thing God gives to his people by his spirit. That is the heart of the new covenant. Okay, is that making sense? Yeah? This is, this is actually pretty basic New Testament theology, but it's quite profound, and it's the most deeply important realities of our lives. All right, so let me just turn the corner here to asking the question. So if that's, if that's the heart of this new covenant, it's not all there is to say. I'll say a lot more about it next week, but that's a core piece of it. God doing a work in the heart. How do we then live as new covenant Christians today? Like, how does this impact the way we actually go about our lives? And let me have you ask yourself this question, which is, um, where is your heart these days? Like, just take a second and, and make an assessment. Where is your heart towards God these days? I'm not looking for a right answer. I'm looking for the real answer, okay? Like, where is your heart with God? Is there, is there a passion for the Lord? Are you having um, a fresh experience of God's goodness in your life? 
Are you finding that your heart has like newfound courage to like face life in some, some new ways? Or, or is your heart apathetic? Um, is your heart calloused towards spiritual things, towards God right now? Um, do you feel stuck? Does your heart feel stuck? You, you want to see growth and you just, you just don't. Um, does it feel powerless? Do you feel kind of, you know, yeah, powerless? Where is your heart? Well, I think um, the, the good news, I, I just want to remind you, wherever you find your heart today, whatever you might do with that, that reality, I want to remind you that God's transformation of the heart is not a one-time event only. You know, it's not like, hey, I wasn't a Christian, then God did this change of heart, and now I am, and that's it, right? I mean, and that, that is, that going from, from to, to faith is a, is a massive reorientation of the heart. But that same spirit of God that works in that fundamental shift is the same spirit who is working in us from that moment until the day we die. Slowly working in our hearts, transforming us so that we're becoming more and more the people that we, in our deepest heart of hearts, long to be. And I think sometimes Christians can live, especially been at this for a long time, you can live with this sort of assumption like, all right, God, I can remember that time when you, when you, you changed my heart, right? You, you gave me faith, and it's like, you did that, that was awesome, and I'll take it from here. Like, I, that was such a surprising, beautiful, amazing work, and I see your commandments, and I'll take it from here, right? You, you, you kind of kick-started me, and now it's my responsibility to kind of make up the difference from, from here on out. That's, that's the temptation. And um, you read like the book of Galatians. That, that was what they were doing. They'd had this profound experience of the spirit. And then they're like, yeah, but now we got to add to that. Like our works are going are gonna to perfect us. And, and Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians, was like, guys, you're, you're really missing the boat here. You're missing it. This is what he says. He says, are you so foolish? Like after beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to be perfected by means of human effort? Like this whole thing started by the Spirit. Why would you leave behind the Spirit and try to then perfect yourself in your own efforts? No, it starts with the Spirit. It ends with the Spirit. It goes on to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things are fruits of the Spirit. When the Spirit is at work in your life, these are the things that are produced. This is not works of the flesh done by human effort. These are deep heart postures that we all want to see take place in our hearts. Paul's saying that is the work of the Spirit. The day you become a Christian and every day since. So you don't start with the Spirit and then move on to your own efforts. No, it's Spirit from start to finish. It's faith from start to finish. It's God's work in you producing what he wants to produce. Uh, Dallas Willard has a great quote. I like it. It's provocative. I think it's accurate. He says this, the Christian life is what you do when you realize you can do nothing. And he's, he's referencing Jesus and, and what Christina and abide in me, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. I can't, I can't do that fundamental transforming work and yet I'm still called to do lots of things. Well, the Christian life is what you do when you realize that you can do nothing. Meaning, of course, there's still many things to do, but the fundamental doing in the Christian life is to consistently lay our hearts before the Lord and offer them to him so that he can do the work in us that we can't do. It's a cooperative doing. It's not a, 
I'll take it from here, God, and here I go. Okay? All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with, um, I want to invite you into a practice that I've been trying on um, this summer um, that has been really good for me, and I want to invite you into something like it. Um, and some of you, this taps into some things we talked about at a men's retreat like seven years ago. So any of you with really good memories, might, this might remind you of something. Um, so this summer, I've been, um, I have been hit uh, more regularly with the inadequacy of myself. <laughs> I'll just say that. Um, like I'm just more aware of not having what it takes sometimes to live the way I think I ought um, and I am super grateful for my life, so don't feel bad for me. I'm doing great. But I've been just confronted with that reality. Um, so I- I've got a little diagram for you. And um, if you're anything like me, this is how you experience life, okay? You're regularly uh, confronted with the ideal in life, okay? Things that, the way things ought to be, the way you ought to be, let's say, um, and then you're confronted. That's so funny. I did that at the first service, same place. That's so weird. Um, I must have set that up wrong. Um, it wasn't ideal. Uh, okay. <laughs> so you're confronted with the ideal, and we'll talk about that in a second. And then you're confronted with the real you. You as you actually know yourself to be. And you experience this significant gap <laughs> between the ideal you and the real you. All right? So for me, there's, there's two primary ways I'm confronted with the ideal. The one is I regularly open this book and read it. And if you read just about any page, you will be confronted with an ideal, a commandment. This is how you are supposed to be. Love your enemy, right? Um, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your lips. We like that one. Um, don't store up treasures on earth right? But store up treasure in heaven. An ideal about the way we ought to be living our lives. So that's one way I experience it. The other way I experience it is simply life. Like, what does life require of me right now? What does my day require? Gosh, there's this conversation I need to have with this person. And you know what the ideal would be? Is that if I'm this really courageous, honest, soft, but like really good guy in conflict, like that's the ideal. Or uh, I've got these three kids and they're just going bonkers. And the ideal me is patient all day and kind and, you know, and, and all that, right? So I'm confronted five times a day with an ideal. Uh, and and then, there's, then there's the real me. <laughs> who, there's actually who I am. <laughs> and, and I feel this gap. And I have felt the gap more this summer than usual for whatever reason. And that gap, of course, creates a sense of tension, dissonance, uh, maybe insecurity. It creates a bunch of things that we don't tend to like. And so what I'm, the, the practice is, what do I do? What's the, move I, what's the next move I make when I experience that? And the temptation for me is to try to bridge that gap in one of two ways. One is I just stop paying attention to the ideal. Like, you know what? I can solve this problem real easy. <laughs> if, if I just don't read this, <laughs> right? Like, if I just don't read, I don't have to, I don't have, to have that in my face. All It's kind of, it's, I walk away feeling just, this doesn't make me feel good about myself, right? That's a, that's a way to do it. Um, and then the other way is to try to make the real me closer and, and to, to feel that gap and to read the command or, or what the day holds and go, you know what? I can, like, okay, come on, Dave. Do this. Get there. Bridge the gap, right? You can do this. Those are the ways that I'm tempted to, 
to, to bridge that gap. And the, the, the practice I'm, I'm trying on this summer is a little different. It's when I feel that gap is to stop trying to bridge the gap. And the first move I make just to go, yeah, there's a big gap there. <laughs> and before I, I try to do anything about it, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna pretend the gap isn't there. Lord, I feel the massive gap between the ideal and who I actually am. And to just sit in that and just to confess it, to speak the truth of myself to myself and to God and not to try to do anything about it. And then to go, okay, what am I going to do with that? And to say, maybe that gap is my opportunity to experience the gospel. Like, and, and for, that's a great opportunity for, for me to experience your forgiveness, right? Because the gap's there. Um, well, there, there's my opportunity to, to experience your grace again. <laughs> and even more than that, um, there's the place where I go, God, I don't have what it takes. I know my heart. I, my heart does not have what it takes. And so I'm going to ask you to do in me what I know I can't do in myself. I'm going to ask your spirit. I'm going to invite your spirit to do a work in me. To give me a patience that I know I don't normally have. To give me a boldness that I know I don't normally have. I'm asking you to bridge the gap. Because I can't. Not not in a sustainable way. And so that's the first move. The gap is there. I'm not going to deny it. And I'm asking you, God, to do something. And then I have to still live my day. I have to step in. And I have to do my best in dependence on your spirit. That's the practice. And what's been great is I'm, I'm more regularly experiencing my inadequacy, but I am more regularly experiencing God's grace. And I'm learning like, you know, Dave by himself really doesn't have what it takes on a, on a host of issues. But, but Dave with Jesus is way better <laughs> than just Dave with Dave. And maybe Dave with Jesus is enough. And at least that, whatever the day holds, that keeps me close to God. It keeps me from trying to do it on my own or trying to just deny the reality of what his word says. And so that's the invitation. And, and I, I leave you with the idea, you know, God, the new covenant is not asking for perfect people. God is not asking for perfect people. He's asking for soft hearts. That's what he wants. He wants hearts that are soft and responsive and open to him. And he can give us those hearts every single day. So that's the invitation. Let's pray. Well, Lord, as we sit with the commandments of your scriptures, things like serving you and fearing you and walking in your ways and observing your commandments, we, we know ourselves so well. We know that we, we cannot, we simply can't do those things uh, perfectly at all. And so... Uh, my prayer is that um, you would offer each one of us a fresh invitation to life lived by faith, not by works, a life of dependency on you, a life of close connection to you in the midst of our, our inadequacies, a life where we learn that your power is made perfect in weakness and that your grace is sufficient for us. I pray even this week, your spirit would be active in our hearts and minds, changing us, healing us, transforming us, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time. 
whether in really significant ways or in just subtle but great little ways um, each day, Lord. We want to be people who are open to your spirit. We want to be people who live not by might nor by human power, but by your spirit. So even as we sing to you now, 